This is a scene that we don't see very often around here. But if you go to a, a less congested area of the country, you will see this once in a while. Those of you who live in other parts of the world who have lived in other parts of this country, you know what this is. This is a group of geese that are flying in that V formation. And if you have experienced this before, you know the beauty as they fly across the sky. God's beautiful creation expressed in this, this beautiful scene. Those of you who are hunters, you see this, and there's almost that instinctive reaching for your, your shotgun, right? Because this is a part of, of God's design. But many people throughout the years have wondered, why is it that geese fly in this, this V formation? We know that they fly this way, especially as they're traveling long distances. So why is it that they, they instinctively know to, to travel this way? Or a gr group of scientists at Caltech who asked that very question. And they put their, their computers and their flight simulators to work to, to try to discover the answer to that question. They found the answer. Geese fly in that formation because it's the easiest way to fly. That V formation serves aerodynamically as a single wing, distributing the wind drag equally amongst all of those, those geese, amongst all of those birds. Neither the, the front goose or the ones in the back work any harder than the others. In fact, 25 geese flying together in this V formation can go 70% farther than a single goose traveling by itself. And like I said, that, that, that front goose, that goose at the point of the V, actually situates itself just slightly behind the, the perfect point in that V, allowing the geese that fly behind it to, to absorb some of that wind drag. And so that, that front goose doesn't work any harder than any of the other geese. You know, we can learn from these geese. We live in a society, we live in a, a culture that, that promotes individualism, that, that promotes self-reliance. We celebrate the self-made man. We sing songs like, I did it my way. And yet the truth is that we function far more effectively in community. God's design for us is to work together, to serve together, to encourage and support one another. That's God's design for his church, for followers of Jesus Christ to work together, to, to serve together. And that's God's design that we together might grow his kingdom. God calls us to live in healthy, authentic relationships together. That's why the New Testament is filled with those one another statements. We're in the midst of a sermon series called Authentic Relationships, and we're looking at those one another statements together. We're looking at what it means to love one another, what it means to submit to one another, what it means to bear one another's burdens. We're doing that because that is the way God designed us to live. And that's his prescription for life together. I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me now to Galatians chapter 6 because we're going to be looking at one of those one another statements that Paul shares with that early church. Paul addresses a number of topics in this, in this book and amongst which includes our relationships. Certainly our relationships with God, but also our relationships with each other. One of my favorite Bible teachers, besides Pastor Don, is, is a guy by the name of Pete Briscoe. Pete pastors a church in, in Texas. 
And several years ago, he preached a sermon series through the book of Galatians with his congregation. And he titled that sermon series, Dance Lessons. He was talking about the relationships that we have and, and how those relationships can be healthy and, and how those relationships can function the way God designed them to be. He made the point that when we are living in those kind of healthy, authentic relationships, there's a beauty that's quickly evident, much like when a couple learns to dance together. Let's go to our passage in Galatians 6. And actually, I'm going to begin reading one verse before that. Galatians 5, beginning in verse 26. We read, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. There's a pharmacist in Kansas City uh, by the name of Robert Courtney. You may remember the story. It made the national news a few years ago. This pharmacist was convicted of diluting the, the prescription medications of cancer patients. He had been diluting these, these medications for these cancer patients. And he got caught and he got convicted of this crime. Over a period of about nine years, he diluted about 98,000 different prescriptions affecting about 4,200 patients. About 17 cancer patients actually died after receiving watered-down formulations of the chemotherapy that they had been prescribed. Over those nine years, he made about $19 million through this fraud. And as a result, he was convicted and, and put in prison for 30 years. This was a person who was entrusted who was entrusted with propriety and the, the life-saving medications these patients needed. And yet out of his own selfishness, out of his own greed, he was watering them down to the point where they were no good for anyone. You know, I remember reading this story and almost immediately thinking, how often does that happen with the gospel? That gospel message that gets watered down with humanistic messages, teaching us things like, if you just work hard enough, if you, if you just do enough good, then you can earn God's favor and you can somehow save yourself. That's the message that Paul was addressing as he wrote this letter to the Galatians. There were, there were false teachers that had come into the church who were spreading lies, who were trying to put those Jewish believers and those early converts under the weight of legalism. 
They were trying to chain these new believers with the shackles of religion and, and legalism with all its rules and rituals and regulations. And Paul knew what was at stake, and so he, he quickly addressed this, quickly addressed it, helping those people to understand that they had been set free in order to live free. The thing is that we know with, with privilege, just like with living in any family, it also comes with some responsibility, right? The gospel is a free gift to us, and it gives us the freedom from the sin in our lives. It gives us freedom from, from legalism and religion. It gives us freedom from striving and trying to earn our own salvation. It gives us freedom from the fear of what other people think. The gospel is all about freedom. And yet, as the saying goes, with great freedom comes great responsibility. We don't live out this freedom. When we live this freedom out, we, we, when we live through the freedom of God's grace and through the gospel, we don't carry this weight. This responsibility is not burdensome. It's a privilege, right? And the power of the Spirit works in us to, to propel us towards carrying out this work that God has called us to do. And so this responsibility actually becomes a joy. It's important to realize that we don't shoulder this responsibility alone. Not only does the Spirit empower us to do it, but we are compelled and we are encouraged by one another. The saying is, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And so in chapter 6, Paul finishes this letter to the church in Galatians by reminding them of this responsibility, of, of painting this picture of what this life looks like. He says, gospel convictions produce gospel communities. And if it's a gospel that has set us free, then it's a gospel that gives us the power to live together, to grow together as fellow believers. And so that's the first responsibility that Paul reminds us of in this passage. He reminds us that we have this responsibility to grow together. Paul knows that mixing different customs and different cultures, mixing different passions and preferences can get messy in the church. We can begin to pick at one another. And so Paul addresses this as closely, as directly as he can. That's what he's talking about as we begin our passage this morning. He says, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. You know, we are called to be a part of a, a gospel community of, of Christians who strive to live like this. And as we do, there is no place in that community for provoking, for, for envying. I mean, who in the church gets hurt most when there's that kind of bickering that goes on? It's those who are young in their faith and, and growing in their faith. It's those who are struggling. And so Paul instead tells us that, that when somebody is caught up in sin, that person should be restored gently. Right? That's in stark contrast to what we often see where, where that person gets criticized and condemned and, and there's fingers pointing. The point is that we are not in this by ourselves. No, we are in this together. And so when someone is, is tangled in that sin that, that can trip us up, that person should be restored gently. There shouldn't be talking behind their back. There sh they shouldn't be ripped on social media. They shouldn't be condemning and judging that goes on. 
Perhaps the strongest image that we see in this passage is found in, in verse 2, where Paul says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. That means that when we see somebody who's struggling to carry their own load, we don't just stand back and watch. No, this is the opportunity for the, the church to become the church. When somebody is struggling to, to carry that load, we don't just wish them well, put them on the prayer sheet, and then just walk away. No, we get down under that burden with them and help to carry it right along with them. That's the church. That's community. That's what Paul is calling us to do. Sometimes that means reaching out and helping someone else. Sometimes that means letting someone else help us. And that can be hard, right? I, I don't do this well. I don't like asking for help. When I was in school, I didn't like raising my hand and, and asking a question. Before the days of GPS, if I got lost driving somewhere, I didn't like pulling over and asking for, for directions. The gospel reminds us that we have the freedom and we have the responsibility of bearing one another's burdens. I help you with yours and, and you help me with mine as together we grow in Christ. There's another responsibility that, that Paul reminds us of towards the end of our passage. In verse 7, he, he begins with, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. I love that Paul has just told us to, to care for one another, to help carry each other's burdens. And he follows that up by, by exhorting us not to grow weary in doing good. You see, the work of God, caring for one another, loving one another, it can make us weary. I love that Paul is encouraging us not to grow weary. He knows that it's difficult. He knows that it's demanding. He knows that doing the work of God can be exhausting. And he tells us, don't grow weary, because the reward is worth it. I think if Paul specifically emphasizes that, that call to perseverance when it comes to caring for one another, because he knows that as we begin that process, as we begin that ministry of caring for one another, it can be fun, it can be fulfilling. We can feel that, that great joy in helping others. Very, early, very quickly, it can become old. We, as followers of Jesus Christ, as sons of God, we have had our burdens lifted so that we might carry one another's burdens as well. And so don't grow weary, because at the right time, the harvest will come. It may not look like that right now. Right now, things may look broken. That relationship may seem like it's beyond repair. That addiction may seem like it's too strong. But don't give up on each other. Because at the right time, the harvest will come. I know that some of you are carrying heavy burdens right now. You are carrying those heavy burdens. And you're struggling. That, that burden weighs on you. And some of you have been carrying it for a very long time. For some of you, that burden that you're carrying is, is the weight of a diagnosis. The tests were run, the, the doctors shared that, the results with you, and 
that burden is weighing on you now. That diagnosis is weighing on you. For some of you, it's a financial responsibility that's weighing on you. You're taking care of your family. You're, you're caring for them, and, and sometimes it feels like there's more month than money. Maybe there's an elderly parent or a sibling that you're assisting as well. Very often that weight can get heavier and heavier each month. For some, it might be a ministry responsibility. That need was made known to you, and faithfully you said yes. And you love what you're doing and you love who you're serving, but very quickly you discover that you are serving out of your area of giftedness. You, you love what you're doing, but you're serving out of your giftedness and each week you're giving the last free hour in your schedule. Or maybe it's something else. You know what that burden is for you. You know how it weighs on you. You know the sleepless nights that it causes. For some of you, you have been carrying this burden for a long time, and you've never told anyone about it. You don't want your burden to burden someone else. But that's not God's design for his kingdom. That's not the way that God made us to live. We were made for each other. It's not his design that, or his desire that we would do this alone. Paul says, carry each other's burdens and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. We were made for each other. I was made to help carry your burdens, and you were made to help carry mine. That's life in the kingdom. That's life in the body of Christ. That's life in the church. Now, how many of us have realized how many opportunities that we will have over the years to, to ask others for help. Opportunities where we realize that I can't do it by myself. Jesus had this opportunity on one dark and lonely night in the Garden of Gethsemane, the, the night that he was betrayed. It's significant to note that, that Jesus asked Peter and James and John to go with him into the garden. And scripture tells us that, that Jesus became troubled, he became sorrowful, and he, he said to his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. If we are to live this life that God is calling us to, this life of bearing one another's burdens and allowing them to bear our burdens, we need to do a couple of things. First of all, we need to have the honesty and the humility of Jesus to admit I'm hurting and I need some help. Secondly, we need to have friends in our lives that we can go to who are willing to just listen. You know, Jesus told his disciples on that last night, I no longer call you servants. Instead, I now call you friends. In Proverbs chapter 17, we read, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. And Jesus put the ultimate price on these kind of relationships that Christians should strive to have together when he says there is no greater love than to lay one's life down for a friend. You know, Moses was a man who, who had many troubles in his life, and very often he had no one to talk to about it. Those of you who are in leadership, whether it's leadership in the church, leadership at work, leadership in the home as a parent, you know how, how lonely it can be at the top of that organizational structure. But very often, God sends that friend at just the right time. And as we're waiting for that friend to arrive, 
He sends his Holy Spirit to be a comforter in our life. One of the early challenges that Moses faced as a, a leader of God's people happened very soon after the parting of the Red Sea. It's recorded in Exodus chapter 17. We read that the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. I want you to notice that, that Moses knew that he was going to need some help if he was going to solve the problem of the Amalekites. Moses was strong enough and humble enough to realize this. And so he called Joshua to play that important role of, of leading the army into battle. It says Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. Whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. Notice how this partnership works. When Joshua is doing his part and Moses is doing his part, the Israelites are winning. They are victorious on the battlefield. But imagine if, if Joshua had gone to the battlefield with his army and they had fought, but Moses hadn't done what God was calling him to do. There would have been no victory. Their fighting would have been in vain because the Amalekites were stronger than the Israelites. And in the same way, if Moses had, had held his hand up like a champion, but Joshua and his men had failed to show up, the fighting would have been in vain. There would have been no victory because they were both needed by God. God called both of them to share in this burden to fight the Amalekites. Joshua's job and Moses' job were both incredibly important. Now notice that Moses also was very wise in taking two men with him as he climbed up on that hill. The fighting was far more demanding than even he knew, and he needed those men to help him. It tells us that when Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. We should thank God for those friends in our lives who notice when we have a need, who, without us even speaking a word, they notice, they see that we have a need, and they rush in to help carry that need. The thing is, in this case, that, that stone to sit on wasn't quite enough. And so Aaron and her held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands may stay steady until sunset. My friends, when the, when the load gets too heavy, be a friend. When the load gets too heavy, allow others to be a friend to you. These four men, Joshua and Moses and Aaron and Hur, did far more than any of them could have done by themselves. God's call was on all of them to accomplish this task together, to bear each other's burdens, to walk beside each other in this ministry. They had this common goal to defeat the Amalekites. And because they served together, because they stepped into the role that God had given them, we read that final verse, Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. We are to bear one another's burdens. We are called to do that. And we're called to do that for three very important reasons. We're called to bear each other's burdens because we are better together. We are better together. As we look at that, that first century church in the book of Acts, we see that they, they served together, they did life together. That when one had a need, the others met that need. And scripture tells us there in chapter 2, 
that daily the Lord was adding to their number those who were being saved. That as they lived out these one another statements that we see throughout the New Testament, the Lord was growing that church in depth and in breadth. That as they loved one another, as they submitted to one another, as they bore each other's burdens, the Lord was growing that church, that gospel community that we're called to live in as followers of Jesus Christ. We are called to bear one another's burdens because we are better together. Here at Cross Point Church, we are called to serve together, to grow together, to do life together, to live as this gospel community as God prescribed it, living together and enjoying the fruit of that ministry, that we might thrive as a church community. You know, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has taken residence up within you and given you spiritual gifts and talents for you to use. He calls you to use those gifts here at Cross Point and in our community, at your place of employment, where you go to school, in your neighborhood, with your family. That these, these gifts are not for us alone. They are for us to use in ministry. That we might be ministers together. The Bible talks about it in terms of the priesthood of all believers. That we are called to serve and minister together. You know, I've been a part of Crosspoint for just over two years now. And we have this incredibly talented and incredibly hardworking staff that I, it's just a joy to be a part of. But if it's only the staff that are doing the work, this church is going nowhere. This church is not going to accomplish what God has called us to do. Now, it's only when we link arms, each one of us doing our part, ministering together, that we become the church that God calls us to do. It's when we each have our oar and we get it in the water and we're going where God is leading us to. That's when the church becomes the church. That's when we do what God has called us to do. We are called to bear one another's burdens because we are better together. There's a world out there that celebrates the individual, that celebrates self-reliance, that celebrates the self-made man and beats their chest and said, I did it my way. But when the church lives differently, when we live the way God prescribed us to live, when we live as a community, a gospel community, where we care for each other and minister together, and that church is thriving, there's a world out there that sees. They say, I want to be a part of that. I want to belong to a community like that. And as they join in and find their place of belonging, very soon they will find their place of believing as well. That church will grow. That church will grow and it will become this gospel community that, that thrives. God calls us to bear one another's burdens because it brings him glory. He calls us to do this for his glory. He calls us to do it for our good. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you because you are our living hope. You are the one that makes sense of life and it is your word, God, that instructs us in how to live this life that you're calling us to. This life in your design and, and in your desire. May we live into that. May we learn to love each other deeply. May we learn to submit to one another fully. And may we bear each other's burdens in a way that creates beauty, creates a beauty in this community. Lord, we are yours. Thank you for loving us. 
We love you. Amen.